Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. Tonight we're going to continue in our study through the book of Proverbs. So please turn with me to Proverbs chapter 21. The Proverbs is actually divided into a couple of different sections. And tonight we're going to be ending and possibly going into uh, from one section into another. So if we have time, we'll do the second half of chapter 22. Starting in verse 17 of chapter 22, when we get there, this, could, this is going to give us the Bible's record of the wise sayings of godly men, but not Solomon's. And then at the end of the book, we go into another compilation of more of Solomon's sayings, Solomon's Proverbs. And then the last two chapters in the book of Proverbs are sayings or Proverbs written by someone else completely. So God has, in his wisdom, compiled this book to give us wisdom. And I love the fact that it has 31 chapters and in many months there are 31 days. And so if you want to just really dig into the Proverbs, today is the seventh of the month. Read Proverbs chapter 7 and do so each and every day of each and every month and you'll really hopefully gain a lot of wisdom from just the study and the reading of the Proverbs. Remember what it says in 1 Kings 4, verses 30 to 34. It says, Thus Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the men of the East and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all men, than Ethan the Ezrahite, than Heman and Calcol and Darda, the sons of Mahal, and his fame was in all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. Also he spoke of the trees from the cedar tree of Lebanon, even to the hyssop that springs out of the wall. He spoke also of animals, of birds, of creeping things, and of fish, and men of all nations from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. So this is, this is God's man who he spoke to, to to impart this wisdom onto us. And as we talked the last time and as we go through the various Old Testament books, we see that Solomon, as wise as he was and as much as he recorded the words that the Lord gave him, many times he didn't heed his own advice. But that's another teaching for another day. We're here to gain wisdom. We're here to learn from these Proverbs. We are here now to apply these things to our life that we may live in a way that glorifies God, that we may walk in a way that glorifies God. Because when we apply these things, they're very practical things, day-to-day things, that if we apply them in each and every aspect of our life, we will live wisely in God's world. So beginning in Proverbs 21, verse 1, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it 
wherever he wishes. So a king has power over his kingdom and over his people. Back then, and there are some in, still in, this, in, the, in the world we live in now, would exercise absolute power over their people. But God has ultimate power over all men. No matter how much a king will wield his power, God ultimately has the final say. A king may thought he was carrying out his own plans, but God would cause them to actually carry out God's plans. And I love that about the Lord. He just he will influence godly, uh, godly or ungodly men to do his will. The term he turns it in that verse refers to a method of irrigation used in that day where they would allow one body of water to be guided in several different directions in order to, to water the crops. And it's done by just one simple act. This, this tells us that God, by one simple word, can direct the affairs of a king or a ruler in this world. And God has the final say. I love how Isaiah records this, um, this in Isaiah 45, verses 1 through 5. We get a great picture of one of the ways God uh, just exercised His ultimate control over the affairs of this world. And it says um, in Isaiah 45, verse 1, Thus says the Lord to His anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held, to subdue nations before him and loose the armor of kings, to open before him the double doors so that the gates would not be shut. I will go before you and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness, the hidden treasures of secret places, and that you may know that I, the Lord, who call you by your name, am the God of Israel. For Jacob my servant's sake and Israel my elect, I have even called you by your name. I have named you, though you have not known me. He's talking about Cyrus, the king. Although you have not known me, I am the Lord and there is no other. There is no God beside me. I will gird you, though you have not known me. What is he saying? He's saying he will direct rulers and kings even if they don't acknowledge God. So Cyrus was not a, a believer. But remember, Isaiah prophesied this nearly 200 years before it happened. And he named the king, King Cyrus. So how many times in those verses did, did God say, I have named you, I have called you by name. That was to just show his, just his sovereignty over everything in this world. So Cyrus is named as the one who would overthrow the Babylonian Empire. Remember, he went underneath the, the walls. He diverted the Euphrates River. And so think about that, that verse in verse 1 of Proverbs 21 where like the rivers of water, he says, he turns it. God can just redirect the affairs of this world to his purposes and for his glory. Verse 2, every way, of, every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the hearts. 
Listen, our self-righteousness is always at odds with God's ways. Always. Man will always try to justify his actions, but God knows the intents of the heart. God will use the mirror of his word when it's held up before us. We're going to see our sin. We can't be self-righteous when we understand who we are in God's eyes. And God knows all, all too well. And our, we can't make excuses. And we can't try to justify our actions because the Lord weighs the hearts. To do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. A haughty look, a proud heart, and the plowing of the wicked are sin. So God would rather have us obey than perform empty religious rituals. You know, there's the account of King Saul's disobedience to the Lord, the first king of Israel, when he sent him in and he told him to utterly destroy the Amalekites, every man, woman, child, every, every um, animal, everything. And Saul disobeyed. And then he tried to justify it. He says in 1 Samuel 15, 22, Samuel said, to, uh, Samuel said to Saul, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. See, King Saul tried to justify his disobedience with empty religion. He tried to justify it with false sacrifices. But God knew what was in the heart of Saul. He knew the pride that was in his heart and he didn't receive. He did not receive that offering. Verse 5, the plans of the diligent lead sure, surely to plenty, but those of, those of everyone who is hasty surely to poverty. Getting treasures by a lying tongue is the fleeting fantasy of those who seek death. The violence of the wicked will destroy them because they refuse to do justice. So these three verses speak about riches that are gained in illicit or wicked means. And, you know, the first one here speaks about hastiness. Hastiness is just not waiting on the Lord. You know, some people want a quick buck, want a, want a quick fix to their problems. This is speaking specifically about financial situations. But even in other things in life, sometimes whether it's an illness or whether it's a relational thing, you know, we, we, want, a, we want it overnight, you know, in that microwave society we live in. But it says here, those who are hasty, it'll lead to poverty. You know, wait on the Lord. Wait on God. And then he says, he says speaking of uh, a lying tongue, that speaks of riches that are gained through deceit. You know, is it really worth it? Is it really worth deceiving somebody to try to gain riches from them? You know, it's just, how, think about the guilt that's going to go along with that for, for all, all of your days. And then possessions acquired through violence, such as robbery or burglary, you know, they're never going to be enjoyed by the person who takes them. So just some wise uh, lessons there about, about riches Verses 8 and 9, the way of a guilty man is perverse, but as for the pure, his work is right. 
Better to dwell in a corner of a housetop than in a house shared with a contentious woman. So um, we saw a verse very similar to this in Proverbs that speaks about, um, speaks about a man sleeping on the housetop is better than in a house with a woman that's a continual dripping. Remember that? Like the Chinese water torture? Just dripping, 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 dripping. So, listen, uh, you know, a house should be a place of safety. A house should be, a home should be a place of, um, you know, uh, of love and not of contention. So, the opposite of this verse is, verse is Proverbs 18:22. He who finds a good wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. You know, God has provided a man with a companion and a helpmate in a wife, and uh, that she can become an adversary if she's ill-tempered and she's quarrelsome. Better a man sleeps in the elements than to sleep uh, inside the home in that, in that kind of environment. So, The soul of the wicked desires evil. His neighbor finds no favor in his eyes. When the scoffer is punished, the simple is made wise, but when the wise is instructed, he receives knowledge. The righteous God wisely considers the house of the wicked, overthrowing the wicked for their wickedness. So God's righteous judgment on the unbeliever should give all of us a warning to keep ourselves from getting entangled with wicked people. You know, people that are so bent on evil that, you know, even their neighbor, even their friend can't talk them out of whatever they're devising. You know, they're so diligent in wickedness. If only they would take that diligence and use it for, for good and godly things instead of evil things. Verse 13, whoever shuts his ears to the cry of the poor will also cry himself and not be heard. So as Christians, we should always be looking out for the less fortunate. Our lives become even more blessed when we reach out to those in need. We all have experienced that, I'm sure. You know, I think of most recently the flood victims in Baton Rouge and, and just, you know, the generosity of this body here to give to those who we could obviously see were in great need. And what a blessing that is, you know, ju- uh, f- for us as a body to see one another, like s- just gather together and support someone else. And that benefit, you know, of just being blessed by that, you know. But God will also hear our prayers if we do that. You know, that's another benefit that God gives us if we reach out and we hear the cry to those who are less fortunate. A gift in secret pacifies anger and a bribe behind the back, strong wrath. So, you know, there, we've spoken before, there are many proverbs that don't really pass judgment one way or the other. They just kind of tell you if this happens, then this is sure to follow. If this occurs, then this is going to be the result of that. This is one of those verses. It doesn't advocate bribery, obviously, because the Bible is clear. You know, that's condemned. But it just shows the natural way of man now that the giver of a bribe can expect the receiver to be 
calm and peaceful and not full of anger and wrath. So that just speaks about the, the natural things about giving a bribe and what you're to expect back from that. Deuteronomy 16.19, it makes it very clear what the Bible says. You shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality, nor take a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and twists the words of the righteous. So very clear there in the Bible. Verses 15 through 17. It is a joy for the just to do justice, but destruction will come to the workers of iniquity. A man who wanders from the way of understanding will rest in the assembly of the dead. He who loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. So these verses speak about true happiness that doesn't come from the things of this world, doesn't come from seeking after the pleasures of this life, but come from seeking after God. You know, if our focus is always on material things or pleasure and not God, guess what? We'll end up with neither. We won't have those material things. We won't have pleasure. And certainly, we're not going to have a relationship with the Lord. So there's definitely a, um, a result that comes from that. You know, uh, speaking about, you know, seeking after material things instead of God, Jesus says in Matthew 16, verses 24 through 26, Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? So what are you seeking? What are you seeking after? Are you seeking after the things of this world? Pleasure and money and success and privilege and power position or are you seeking truly after the Lord and in a humble way seeking after him and allowing him to just bless you in the way that he sees fit and boy what a difference that is Jesus always had a way of sort of turning things upside down you know in the minds of his disciples and if we think about it it's kind of turns it upside down you know in in our minds too you know we seek after pleasure we won't we won't receive pleasure pleasure or the lord you know so we seek after god you know the one who lives his life for christ will find true happiness verse 18 the wicked shall be a ransom for the righteous and the unfaithful for the upright so this speaks here about somebody who's devising a wicked scheme and how many times it'll just backfire on them Someone who's planning to bring evil upon a righteous person, but instead, you know, the wrath and the judgment of God will be brought upon him. You know, we think this first brings to my mind the persecution of Christians throughout the world, you know, the oppression of the wicked over the righteous, you know. But we can take comfort in the fact that God will be faithful to bring to judgment those who carry out that oppression. You know, he's always faithful to do that. Better, better to dwell in the wilderness 
than with a contentious and an angry woman. So now the, the poor guy has moved off the roof <laughs> and he's out in the woods somewhere. So boy, uh, a contentious wife. But you know what? I would suggest that this could go for a contentious husband or a contentious child in the home. You know, just bringing that atmosphere into the home and how difficult, how difficult that kind of environment is to, to live in and to, and to persevere through. So, so uh, wives, I give you a little break on that because uh, maybe it's because Solomon uh, was writing this and um, he had hundreds of wives to be contentious with. So <laughs> maybe that was his problem. Verse 20, there is a desirable treasure and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man squanders it. So we're called to be good stewards, right, of what God has given us, not to act foolishly or without gratitude for the gifts that God gives us, you know, because we can waste the blessing that God allows us to have. We can act foolishly and not be good stewards, Reminds me, this verse reminds me of the prodigal, right? Who took that early inheritance from his father and he went out thinking that he was going to, you know, just conquer the world. And he, what did he do? The Bible says he squandered it. You know, he, he lived, he lived in, in a prodigal way. He just squandered it. And guess what happened? When the famine came, he had nothing to eat. He had nothing to eat and he had to humble himself just to survive, you know, so, you know, we should be grateful for whatever God's given to us and that not be, um, you know, not be foolish with it, you know, be good stewards. Verses 21 and 22, he who follows righteousness and mercy finds life, righteousness and honor. A wise man scales the city of the mighty and brings down the trusted stronghold. So, the superiority of righteousness, mercy, and wisdom over foolishness and pursuing those things of the world, righteousness, mercy, and wisdom will bring more benefits, more benefits, even more than what you seek out. You know, God will bless you in abundance. When we seek after the good and godly things in life, God rewards us even more. Solomon you know, in writing this proverb, he knew, he knew this in a very personal way. In Second Chronicles chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. I love this account because it shows us God's priorities. It says, Then God said to Solomon, Because this was in your heart, and you have not asked riches or wealth or honor or the life of your enemies, nor have you asked for long life, but you have asked for wisdom and knowledge for yourself that you may judge my people over whom I've made you king. Wisdom and knowledge are granted to you. Boy, that's awesome, right? But that's not the end. And I will give you riches and wealth and honor such as none of the kings have had who were before you nor who shall have after you the like. Whoever guards, uh, so, so we see here that God loves to bless abundantly more than we even ask for. Solomon was very, very wise. He asked for wisdom, and God gave him wisdom, knowledge, and an abundance. So 
you know, that just shows the priorities that we should have in this life. Verse 23, whoever guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from trouble. So this is pretty self-explanatory, the wisdom in knowing what to say and what not to say, right? We can all think of occasions in our life where we've not taken the time really to consider our words, uh, whether we should say something or whether we should even just hold back. I know in marriage, you know, we see that all the time in relationships, you know, that sometimes we, even if we're right, but we shouldn't say something that we should hold back. We should consider it. And I love that. Guarding our mouth and our tongue will keep your soul from trouble. So all you married people know what I'm talking about. A proud and haughty man, scoffer is his name. He acts with arrogant pride. So this is a description of someone with this type of character. And I love that. His name is scoffer. So he, God even gives this kind of person a name, a proud person, a, pr- a person who's arrogant. You know, arrogance is never an attractive trait. Never. Humility always is more attractive uh, to people. The desire of the lazy man kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. He covets greedily all day long, but the righteous gives and does not spare. So laziness and covetousness are two features of a person like this. They produce a negative outcome. You know, you can desire all you want, but if you're too lazy to actually get up and do something about it, you're not, you're not going to have anything. So this the, verse 25 speaks of, you know, a lazy man who desires to eat, but he's too lazy to go out and do something about it, and he'll eventually succumb because he's, he's not diligent enough. But the righteous person is acknowledged by his generosity. I love that. I love that God acknowledges the generosity of the righteous person. Sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination. How much more when he brings it with wicked intent? So God doesn't receive the sacrifice from a wicked person who may just be doing it to cover for his sin and not really in true repentance. You know, I think about, think back, we, we spoke earlier about the account of Saul bringing those sacrifices, even though he was disobedient to God, thinking it would kind of cover for his disobedience. But no, true repentance is much, much different than false repentance. The actions may look the same, but it's the intents of the heart that God sees. A false witness shall perish, but the man who hears him will speak endlessly. So the, this is kind of difficult to understand in the New King James. The New Living Translation has it as a false witness will be cut off, but a credible witness will be allowed to speak. So God desires truthfulness. You know, this is speaking probably more in a courtroom setting, but, he, but God desires truthfulness in all we do. Verses 29 and 30, a wicked man hardens his face, but as for the upright, he establishes his way. There is no wisdom or understanding or counsel against the Lord. 
and the horses prepared for the day of tra- of battle, but deliverance is of the Lord. So this speaks about a proud and arrogant person trying to put up like a, a stone face, even though he's devising evil, so no one will catch on to his plans. But God can't be fooled. You know, you can't get over on God. No human wisdom can compare with God's wisdom. And in verse 31, it just speaks of human efforts and they have their limitations. You know, we may be really gifted and talented in certain ways or we may be strong in certain aspects of, of our character, but it still has limitations. You know, we can prepare all we want for the battle, but ultimately the victory is the Lord's. Um, We're going to move on to Proverbs 22 and probably get through the first 16 or so verses and we'll end before that second section. So Proverbs 22 verses 1 and 2. A good name is to be chosen rather than riches, loving favor rather than silver and gold. The rich and the poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. So again, the value of a good reputation, of a good reputation, much more valuable than all the riches in the world. You know, God created both the rich and the poor. He gives opportunity and ability to both. We choose whether to put the emphasis on the external things or the things of God. When we, when we put our emphasis on the things of God, then we want to be in, in, you know, have integrity in what we do. We want to have a godly character in what we do that far outweighs any riches that we could get in this life. You know, Solomon mentions this in Ecclesiastes 7, verse 1. The first part of that verse says, A good name is better than precious ointment. A good name, a good reputation. You know, a, re- a good reputation is hard to obtain, but it's very easy to lose. One, one wrong move, run, one wrong decision can ruin your reputation. And then you know how hard it is to get that back. You know, you have to work, you know, years to retain, regain that, that reputation again. So good name is more precious than, um, than riches. A prudent man foresees evil and hides himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. So this is self-explanatory. It's just being wise to spot sin when it comes our way. Being wise enough to understand that you shouldn't go down that road because it's going to lead toward, toward sin and destruction in your life. Being wise to steer clear of those things. Otherwise, you know, we'll suffer the consequences of our decisions either way. Verse 4, By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. So humility and the fear of the Lord go hand in hand, don't they? You know, because, you know, we, as we humble ourselves, you know, the fear of the Lord is, is just understanding His awesomeness, His greatness, giving Him... W- the honor and the, and the praise and the glory that's due Him, understanding how far short we fall, that's humility in addition to just the fear of God, the fear of God. 
And, you know, those are really the valuable things in life. Those are really what, what counts in our, in our life. Thorns and snares are in the way of the perverse. He who guards his soul will be far from them. So a perverse person will find himself in trouble all the time. And he'll have difficulty getting ahead in life. You know, this speaks of thorns and snares. If you ever walk through a field and run into a, a thorn bush, um, you know how difficult it is to get, to get past it, to move ahead in that. I love the picture of this that Solomon gives us of, you know, someone who's walking in their own ways, walking in their own wisdom, not following the Lord. How difficult it will be for that person to get ahead in life. They just won't ever make any progress. While the person who seeks God and his righteousness, they'll find themselves growing, right? And moving ahead and just and, and doing well, moving forward in life. And, and, you know, that's such so much better, you know, than the snares and the thorns get, that get in our way when we don't follow God. Train up a child in the way he will go, in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. So this is probably the best known verse in the Bible on child raising, right? We've heard it all, all heard that verse before. The Hebrew word for train is uh, shanak. And that means really to dedicate or initiate. That's a parent who's initiating godly things into the heart and the mind of their child. And it also means, like in the way that Hannah dedicated her son Samuel to the Lord, offering Samuel to be used by God, right, in his, with, for his perfect purposes. And that was her response to God for answering her prayer. So just offering your, offering your child to God, training him up, initiating those good things in his life. That's a good thing. Now, remember, the nature of the Proverbs. Remember, we, we discussed this way at the beginning when we first started the Proverbs. They're not, it's not a book of promises. So these things will not always take place. These, the Proverbs speak of what would be the normal, natural result um, if everything went perfectly of doing these things. So, you know, listen, there's, there's children who are raised in good godly homes and they just, they just on their own, they make that decision to walk away from God. You know, and that does, not, that does not nullify this verse. It just shows you that, you know, that, you know, children, when they get of a certain age, they're going to make their own decisions. But if you give them that godly foundation, if you train them up in the ways of the Lord, they'll have that. When they wind up straying far, you know, those things will be still in their minds, you know, because you've trained them up in that way. And that's a good thing. They'll have that foundation to return to. Verse 7, the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is servant to the lender. So this verse Again, this doesn't offer any judgment one way or the other about borrowing or lending or rich or poor, but it just says that a rich person very uh, many times will oppress a poor person. You know, and, and if you borrow money, you know, you're going to be in bondage to that lender. 
So just, you know, think about some of these Proverbs. They're just stating facts. And you know that those things will, will pretty much play out the way it's, it's stated there. He who sows iniquity will reap sorrow. And the rod of his anger will fail. He who has a generous eye will be blessed. For he gives his bread to the poor. So listen, we will reap what we sow, right? You know, we, we, we sow to generosity. We sow to uh, righteousness. And we will reap those rewards back. If we're unjust and sinful, trouble is going to eventually find us. If we're generous and righteous, God will bless us. Our lives will always be better if we consider others more than ourselves. I think that's what those verses were saying too, that you know, a generous eye will be blessed. Are we looking out for those people who may be in need and when we have an opportunity to give and to bless? Cast out the scoffer, verse 10, and contention will leave. Yes, strife and reproach will cease. So, you know, this is pretty simple. Those who mock the things of the Lord will cause trouble and strife. And the best remedy for that is just to remove them. Because you remove that scoffer, you, you remove the contentious person, and that trouble will also leave. So, kind of simple, you know, but sometimes we don't even, we don't have, you know, we want to be people pleasers. And sometimes when there's a contentious person or someone who's mocking God in our presence, we just want to, you know, we want to kind of make friends and we won't stand up for what's right. The remedy here that says remove that person, remove the scoffer and trouble and strife will cease. He who loves purity of heart and has grace on his lips, the king will be his friend. So, you know, this speaks about from both directions. You know, if you're a pure, pure of heart person, you, you speak graciously, you know, you'll be able to befriend, um, you know, the high officials, the leaders, the king, you know, the president. And on the other side, a leader would be wise to surround himself with those kinds of people, people with integrity, people that are gracious, people that speak well. You know, that can cast him in a better light than surrounding himself with schemers and, and contentious people. You know, that will cast him in, in a less, less of a light than that. So shows a lot about a leader, too, you know, uh, who he surrounds himself with. It really does. The eyes of the Lord will preserve knowledge, but he who overthrows the words but he overthrows the words of the faithless. So God will guard those who are wise because they are seeking his counsel. You know, you seek the Lord, he's going to preserve you. A person who's self-sufficient, a person who refuses God's help will find himself on the path of adversity. So just very simple, very, very straightforward. The lazy man says, there's a lion outside. I shall be slain in the streets. So I love the Proverbs. Many times they'll use exaggeration, you know, to make a point. You know, someone that's so lazy that they feared the lion roaming in the streets, which really probably didn't occur. 
but he's just too lazy to even do anything. He's going to just remain in his house for the rest of his life. He's just, he's, he's just uh, you know, using every excuse in the book you know, not to be diligent to go out and to work hard. The Bible always praises diligence while rebuking laziness, you know. So listen, you know, you can put responsibility on God for things, but eventually you have to take responsibility to be a part of the work, you know, if he's going to work through you to go out and to do and to be diligent and to uh, and to do what he's called you to do. You know, in 1 Corinthians 3, 9, I love this because it, do, it doesn't say, you know, that, that it doesn't say that God will just perform everything without us. He doesn't need us, but he cares to use us. He chooses to use us. And in 1 Corinthians 3, 9, it says, for we are God's fellow workers. I love that. It's like he's our, he's our workmate. You are God's field. You are God's building. You know, those verses speak of, you know, one person planting, another one uh, you know, watering and God bringing forth the increase. You see that 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 team of of us working together to accomplish God's perfect will in this world, and He wants us to be a part of it, not to be lazy. The mouth of an immoral woman is a deep pit. He who is aboard aboard by the Lord will fall there. So, this is really specifically speaking to the sin of adultery. You know, and listening to a woman who's going to tempt you into adultery will only cause problems for which many times a man or a woman doesn't recover from those problems. You know, if you don't follow God and you go the way of sin, the result can certainly be disastrous. So that's very clear. Verse 15, foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child. The rod of correction will drive it far from him. So, Again, another verse speaking about, you know, the raising of children, children needing guidance, correction, discipline. And the Bible here is advocating sometimes corporal punishment in order to teach them to make wise choices. And, you know, it's a controversial subject. It has been for years. You know, I, I think back not only not only a couple of years ago at um, Adrian Peterson, the uh, the football player who was suspended from football because it was found that he um, he disciplined his child with a switch with a I guess it's a it was a stick or a rod whatever they used and he said well listen that's the way I was brought up that's the way I always raised my children you know but people saw that and they looked at it you know as as something that needed to be addressed and he actually backtracked from that afterwards and he said he'll never do it again you know, but um, we're not talking about beating. We're not talking about abuse. But but the Bible speaks pretty clearly about, you know, guidance, correction, and um, and discipline, you know, for a child to train them, to teach them what right from wrong. You know, and Proverbs 13, 24 speaks of this too. He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. So prompt... Um, you know, discipline and correction, um, the child will remember. Um, he who gives, the, this is the final verse here, he who, he who oppresses the poor to increase his riches and he who gives to the rich will surely come to poverty. So two things that the Lord will judge, 
rich people who use their wealth to dominate over the less fortunate and people who give to the rich just to gain influence or power. Both of these actions will result in greater poverty, but I think not only materially, but poverty in character, right? And, it, and we already learned from an earlier proverb that integrity is of more value than, than riches. So we want to always be careful to watch out for our character, that we're not going down the wrong road, that we're going to do something that's going to mar you know, our, our integrity because, uh, it's like I said before, it's very difficult to get that back. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you for the practical lessons in the book of Proverbs. We thank you that as we read and study through these verses, many times will come to our mind circumstances in our own lives, instances where these things have certainly come to pass, instances where we have not heeded the good wisdom that's in the Proverbs. We've gone our own way and the results, sometimes the disastrous results that come from those things. So Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you, you give us your word. You give us direction. You give us counsel. You give us uh, instructions for living. And Lord, may each and every one of us tonight hide these things in our heart and live them out in our day-to-day life that you may be glorified by everything that we do. We pray it in Jesus' name. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening and may God bless you.